I was so addicted to the lifestyle, the money, the power, the social prestige, the lifestyle was so easy. I literally partied for a living with like super famous rich people, like beautiful women every night. I partied for a living. It was intoxicating. And it was just the lifestyle of that work was so, so addicting. It took me a long time to get out of it. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Financial Independence Show, where today we have on Justin David Carl, who talks about his battle with addiction to then going from negative 80K net worth to over a million net worth in just two years. But before we get into that story, let me check in my co-host, Justin. What is going on, man? Hey, Cody. Yeah, this last weekend after wrapping up our time in Universal... I went back to Mississippi for a few days before heading down to Texas. So with that second stop in Mississippi, did a few things like hitting up this really cool outdoor bar saloon thing in Alabama that's they built into a cave, which is really cool. Um, we went on to the lake, got to visit with family and friends a lot more, and then made that 11-hour trek in the truck yesterday coming back to Texas. So I knocked out 750-something miles in, in 11 hours. I think I took one two-minute stop, but... Uh, <laughs> Hopefully, I don't have too many more trips like that in my future. How about you, Cody? Well, we officially closed up the lake house for the summer. So pulled the docks in, took the boat out, just did all the end of summer stuff. It's a sad time. It's a time that unfortunately, being a New Englander has to happen every single year. We did get maximum use out of the lake house. And we did. We were pretty fortunate this year. I think last year, like all of July rained. It was just like rain every single weekend. So definitely used the lake house as much as we possibly could. But now it's getting a little bit too cold. Last week, we woke up and it was 45 degrees in the house. That's not insulated. So we uh, we decided we'd call it wraps for the season. And we're starting to put the finishing touches on. If you've been listening for a couple months now, we just closed on a duplex back in, I think it was mid-June. And we've been fixing it up, redid all the floors, repainted and everything. So hopefully, fingers crossed, within the next couple of weeks, we'll have that thing listed and rented. So that's exciting as well. But Justin, that's enough about us. Let's talk about the amazing guest we had on the episode today. So Justin David Carl, I know I mentioned really quickly at the beginning, he was in the club industry for, I think it was eight years. And during that whole time, he's like drinking every night, getting into some drugs he probably shouldn't be doing. And he just kind of felt like his life was in a downward spiral. I mean, when he first got the job, he talks about you here in the episode, how amazing it was. He was meeting celebrities. He's like, I'm on top of the world. This is the coolest thing ever. And then it just started to go downhill from there. He was in a bunch of debt. He was just making poor lifestyle choices and So everything kind of gets turned around. He ends up joining a company, ends up going from negative 80K net worth to a millionaire in two years. And man, I was just super inspired after hearing a story like his. Yeah, Cody, I mean, his story has this like full revolution where he's starting and he's really focused on getting into Stanford. He's doing all the right things. He ends up taking a break from that, ends up finding this career, like you said, probably got sucked down some paths that he wishes that he didn't. He ends up making some good business moves for himself, though, in that. And so you start to see like a peak of what was to come. But as much money as he's making, he's spending at the same time because he's surrounding himself with these types of people who are just, you know, flaunting all this kind of money. And so as quick as it's coming in, it's going out. But like you said, in the end, you know, he ended up turning things around, aligning himself with a company that did really well, 
figuring out his best skills and how to really maximize them. And now he's even doing things like fitness influencing. So he's really expanding his horizons. But it's just a really cool story of kind of he was on a positive trend, had some setbacks, took what he learned and then ended up on top. And I may be biased, but, you know, I think Justin has a pretty great name, but he's even got a better nickname. His nickname is Dragon, which he was given because of his personality. So if you want to dig more into Justin's story or maybe reach out on social media, or maybe you just have a friend who would be really interested in this episode, you can find all that and share that at thefyshow.com slash dragon. That's thefyshow.com slash D-R-A-G-O-N. Take it away, Justin. First and foremost, we're going to have to call me Dragon by my nickname so I don't get confused when you're referring to Justin because my first name is actually Justin. So <laughs> let's get that clear first and then let me dig into early money stories. So that's a challenging one because money was always really tough growing up. And I think that's one of the reasons I'm so financially successful today is because money was so tough growing up. To the point that like it was stressful for me to ask for a new pair of soccer shoes when my soccer shoes were worn out. We weren't like poor, like we lived like dirt poor. We had a house over our head and had clothes on our backs and everything like that. But we were definitely on the free lunch program at school. So we were like kind of lower middle income and ultimately third grade and on, my mom basically raised me as a single mom with three boys total, which is a total handful. So kind of just like, you know, my earliest memories of money with my family growing up are that it was always a struggle. Like it was just such a struggle. So as a child, one of my dreams was to be rich, to become a millionaire or a multimillionaire. And I was actually incredibly good at earning and saving money because I was always an entrepreneur. So that is kind of like the thing that I did learn kind of through my own trial and error is like generating my own money. So I would literally like make things and take them to school and sell them. And I would do like all sorts of chores for my parents and other people. And I was just like super good at earning and saving money. So at a really young age, I want to say probably age eight or nine, you know, I probably had like 500 plus dollars saved up. For an eight-year-old, that's a... Can we swear on the show? A little bit. <laughs> yeah. That's a heck ton of a lot of money for, you know, someone who's only eight or nine. So I was really good at that. But then the unfortunate thing is like my older brother was unfortunately into drugs and a lot of other things and him and his friends stole all that money. That plays into another part of my story that I can share later. But for the longest time, up until really this year, I've actually been very secretive with my own family about just how successful I am because I had this like subconscious fear in myself that if my family knew how much money I have now, that they would try to take it from me. And I didn't realize that was there. But after I did some like work with like a breakthrough coach, I realized that like, oh, one of the reasons I'm so afraid to have a podcast and talk about money is because I have this limiting belief that if my family knows how much money I have, they'll try to take it just like my older brother took it from me when I was a kid. So I had these like confusing lessons around money as a kid. 
both like, oh, wow, I can totally earn a ton of money myself through my own efforts and my own ingenuity. And I'm really good at saving. And then these other things that like, you know, when it comes to my family, money is a total struggle and I have to kind of like hide my wealth. So it was very like confusing growing up as a kid. And as I finished up high school and went into my working career, I've always been really good at making money, you know, and I learned that as a kid in middle school. I started as a busboy, then turned into a waiter and basically did that up through the end of high school. And then even in college, I worked year round after the first year of college. So always firm believer in like working to make your own money, but a lot of kind of like mixed lessons growing up around money. I actually noticed like a lot of parallels between like kind of your story so far and my own as far as like mom raising you as a single parent, like things being pretty tight, like finding different resourceful ways to kind of make some income even as a kid. How did that start to kind of manifest itself as you did get older, as you're starting to look to exit high school? Did you think, hey, I've already figured out that I've got this gene, like that I can be an entrepreneur. I can do it myself. I don't need to go down a route that maybe most people go down. Or were you still kind of like, uh, I'm blazing a little bit of a trail here. I'm not really sure what I should do. I'm going to go down the more tried and true path of like going to college and getting a degree. Like what did things kind of manifest themselves into as you started to kind of near that exit of high school age? Yeah. So really great question and a little bit of a roundabout answer. So my dream since basically middle school was to go to Stanford University. And I basically asked myself from, you know, pretty much like fifth grade to 12th grade for seven years, I'd ask myself the singular question in everything that I did. Will this help me get into Stanford or will it hinder me from getting into Stanford? So basically every action I took for seven years was literally based around that. So I was like one of those kids who was like in high school, you know, president of Key Club, president of Honor Society, captain of Knowledge Bowl. I was in Future Business Leaders of America. I was captain of my high school team. I was captain of my club team and literally was one of the top students in my high school. But my high school was like, you know, tiny high school in like a small town in Washington State. So I knew I had to like do everything. So Senior year, I applied to get into Stanford and I got waitlisted. And there was still a chance. It was like, it's not no, but it's not yes. So very confusing. And then eventually, they ended up only letting, I think, eight people off the waitlist. And I think I was number 16 or something like that. And so I was like, so freaking close. And this crushed me. Literally, that was the biggest goal I'd ever had. And I missed it. And I didn't want to go anywhere else. Like Stanford was the place I wanted to go. I just felt the call to go there. My dad went to business school there. I knew it was kind of like the entrepreneurial center of the world. I just felt like intuitively called to go there. So instead of going somewhere else, basically, I sat in my despair and disgrace. And and my mom came to me and she said this thing that I'll never forget. She said, Justin you can either let this break you or you can let it make you. And that hit me like lightning. And I was like, I'm going to make this make me. I'm going to reapply 
I'm going to take a year off. I'm going to get all new SAT scores. I'm going to get all new recommendations. And I'm going to take a gap year and I'm going to go you know, live abroad and I'm going to do this again. So I basically spent the next like three to five months kind of like getting everything, redoing everything. And I applied early decision this time instead of like the regular decision uh, deadline. And I actually got a phone call from Stanford, which they don't do. And I got on the phone with them and they're like, hey, we just want to let you know that this is one of the best applications that we've received all year. Welcome to Stanford. And like, it makes me cry still talking about it like so much later because I didn't give up on my dream. I didn't let like just the fact because I missed the first time hold me back from like trying again, like getting up and trying again and getting better and learning from that failure, massive failure, massive failure. After that, you know, I was like super excited, like jumping all over the place, hooting and hollering. And it was awesome. But then after that, I went and lived in Barcelona for a year. And here's where the entrepreneur comes back out. So I gotten all these scholarships as a senior because I was like, you know, I know you've talked to some other five people that are just like super awesome at getting tons of scholarships. Like I was that person in my small town. Like I just got a ton of scholarships. So I basically wrote to a few of my scholarships and I was like, hey, I'm going to go study Spanish abroad. Can I use this money to go study abroad? And they're like, yeah, to learn another language? Of course. So I basically got my gap year paid for through my scholarships. I didn't have to work over there. I just basically learned Spanish, experienced the culture and learned what it was to live in another country. So that was kind of like, the entrepreneur in me got me to like get all those scholarships in the first place. And then again, that ingenuity, that entrepreneurial spirit, like got me to, you know, be like, hmm, maybe I could actually use these scholarships for something else, you know, in this gap year to like pay for this whole trip. Then in Stanford, come like junior year, similar to you, Justin, I think I kind of just got sucked into like, well, what does a successful Stanford student do? And like, what is the traditional path? And at that time, getting into like tech startups wasn't as popular. This is like 2002 to 2006. It was like basically all the top like Stanford students that were business minded went into either investment banking or management consulting. And so during my junior year, I actually stopped out and like just did an investment banking internship. I was like, this isn't very good. And then I did another investment banking internship in New York kind of before it was actually after my senior year, because I still had two quarters left because I had stopped out to go work. So I didn't quite finish in, in four years. And it was after that second internship in New York at a Morgan Stanley that I was just like, this is not what I want to do. Because I basically looked around at everybody in there. And I asked myself, do I want to be like any of these people? Let me rephrase that. So take that out. I asked myself, do I want the life that any of these people I'm working with have? And the answer was no. No offense, but they were so stressed out, losing all their hair, out of shape, always working, not with their family. And yeah, they earned a heck ton of money, like a ton. 
But I was like, there's a million ways to make money. And this is the most like mind-numbing, monotonous, boring, like spreading comps. I was just like, no, there's got to be another way. So I went back to finish my last two quarters at Stanford. And this is after all my like classmates had graduated. This is basically the beginning of 2006 going into the 2006-2007 school year. And at the time, I had a girlfriend from the Bay Area, from the Stanford area, and she moved out to New York with me. She got a job at a really like high-end lounge slash bar. And they asked her, after I'd come back to Stanford, if she would run their flagship bar in West Hollywood, California. And she asked me, she's like, should I take it? And I was like, heck yeah, and I'll join you. So then I went down. I stopped out again. (laughs) And I went down to LA. And I basically asked myself, well, the thing that I'd done, both in college and in Barcelona, that I was so in love with was like nightlife, like nightclubs. Like I loved the combination of like music and culture and art and design, like all like put together and fashion as well. It was all one thing. I was like, well, I mean, I want to be a nightclub owner. Like, that's what I wanted to do to make money. So basically, I get down to LA and I don't have a job. And this is back like before like Indeed and all these like job search sites. And it was all about Craigslist. So I'm there for about six days and I see this. I'm at the point where I'm like, I will be a freaking busboy in a nightclub. I don't care. I want to get into the business. And I see this posting on Craigslist for the general manager of a nightclub in Hollywood. And I'm like, oh, it doesn't hurt to apply. So I literally submit my application. No joke, within like two hours, they like call me and I answer and I pick it up and they tell me it's them. And they're like, when can you come in for an interview? I was like, I could come in today. And they're like, great. How soon can you be here? And I was like, I could be there in like two hours. And they're like, great. And I was like, okay, I'll be there in two hours. And I got there. They interviewed me for about 20 minutes and they looked at my resume and they saw Stanford and, you know, Morgan Stanley and some other investment banks and like all these things. And they're like, awesome, you're hired. When can you start? And I was like, tonight? And they're like, sweet, (laughs) see you at seven (laughs) o'clock. And then I come in at seven o'clock that night and the club looks terrible when the lights are up. But then... They turn on the fog machines, they turn on all the candle lights on all the tables and the kind of like overhead dance lights come on and and the main lights turn off and it just like gets sexy and super beautiful and like just alluring. And then that night, no joke, Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears come in and I'd never seen a celebrity in my entire life. I grew up in a small town. I went to Stanford and this is before there was like technology celebrities coming out of Stanford. And I was like, oh my God, I hit the jackpot. Like I just got the best job in the world. Like this is crazy. I've never seen a celebrity in my life. So I fell into Hollywood nightlife for about seven or eight years. And first job was kind of as a general manager. But then even within that, basically I recognized, and this is where the kind of entrepreneurial part of me kind of recognized, nightclub management caps out back then. It's more now, but it's still a cap. At least I believe so about 90 to 100 grand a year as like a nightclub manager. And 90 to 100 grand, even back in like 2007 to 2012 or 13-ish, was not a lot of money in LA. I wasn't going to be living a super great life. 
I was there from 2007 to almost the end of 2013. So it wasn't a lot of money. And I was like, okay, where's all the money? And all the money is in table service. So this is like where people go and get bottle service. So anyone who's been to Vegas and gotten a table and gotten bottle service will know what I'm talking about. If you've never been to like New York or Miami or San Francisco, even San Francisco, bottle service is very big, but like LA, Miami, New York, kind of like those major cities and try to go out to nightclubs. It's all about the bottle service. So I basically recognized that there was a gap in the market. So back then, all the VIP hosts in LA, for whatever reason, were all female. Whereas I had been to Vegas, and in Vegas, most of the VIP hosts that take care of the table clients are all male. And so I went to the owner of the nightclub company that I was working for that had a few different nightclubs. And I was like, hey, I really love being a nightclub manager, but I feel like I've learned everything I could learn. I want to do something else. I still want to stay with the company, but I have an idea of something else I want to do. And I think I'd be really good at it. And he was like, what's that? And I was like, I want to be a VIP host. And he's like, ah, women do that. And I was like, no, 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 let me walk you through this. And I walked him through the whole like in Vegas, like all the hosts were male. And he's like, huh, okay, let's give it a shot. But I also want to bartend just in case that doesn't work out. So he's like, great, you can bartend this like older nightclub and you can be a VIP host at one of our newer clubs, two of our newer clubs that open. So you'll do like two or three nights as a VIP host and two or three nights as a bartender. And literally within like two or three months, I was becoming so incredibly successful as a VIP host that I just moved into that full time. Even though the bartending was awesome, it's super fun, it's probably the most easy, low stress, tons of fun, lots of money. And like you always left work at work. Like as soon as you're done with work, you left work. Whereas VIP hosting, you're managing super high-end clients like millionaires, billionaires, athletes, celebrities, princes, royalty. And you're kind of on call like 24-7, but the money was like crazy. It was so crazy. So just to give the audience a sense, in these kind of major kind of like nightclub cities, in a nightclub, 90% or more of the night's revenue comes from bottle service. So literally, the bars are just there to kind of like attract the general crowd to like fill up the club. But all of the money's in the tables. And the way I like to think about the tables is their real estate. And like, of course, for prime real estate, people pay more for it. So like maybe the best table in the house that like everyone can see, it's like up on a stage and it's kind of like Obviously, whoever has that table is kind of like the person of the club. That table could go for like $10,000, $20,000, $30,000 minimum for a reservation. And back then, you would see nights doing anywhere between fifty dollars and like $200,000 in a night. That's just LA. In Vegas, they'll do like, I don't know, three, four hundred up to like a million. I'd never seen people spend money like that ever in my life. Like literally we're just watching people just drop a hundred grand on bottle service, buying these bottles that are literally like the size of a person. It's like back in the day, you know, when like kings would like have these like festivals and they'd like throw bread to the peasants. That's kind of what it was like. These super wealthy people would like just basically give champagne glasses to the entire club. 
because they could never consume that much alcohol themselves. Like who can consume $100,000 worth of alcohol? So I'm going to pause because I know I'm going all over the place here and I want to make sure you guys are able to ask any questions. But this is all kind of like a big part of my money journey. Yeah, I do want to kind of dig into mindset and I don't mean to drag you into a dark place that you might not want to go, but I know that sounds awesome from the revenue perspective, but you're kind of living that club life for six years. I know you've publicly posted about struggling with addiction, depression, anxiety during that period. Like you know, you're partying, drinking, doing maybe some drugs, like multiple nights oh, a week. For sure. How did that just like shape you during that period? And I know we're going to talk about how you kind of came out of that, but I feel like you know doing that for six years straight can really take a toll on your, not only your physical health, but your like emotional and mental health as well. We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis at my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth, one dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools that you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash show, all lowercase, that's shopify.com slash show to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash show. Now back to the show. Yeah. So it was basically, I was there the beginning of 2006 to the end of 2013. So it was like seven or eight years all in. And it was one of those things where, you know, I grew up completely sober. I never even had alcohol until I was living in Barcelona after high school. And that was like the first time I'd ever like had alcohol and actually got drunk. And then in college, I got into drinking, but I never really got into any drugs. And then in Hollywood, I remember even the first like few weeks or maybe even the first week, I literally saw people like doing cocaine off of tables in the nightclub. As a manager, I had to be like, yo, you can't do that. But they're so drunk and effed up that they don't even know what they're doing. And everyone working in the business was like, there are at least, I would say, 99% of the people were all drinking. Basically, every night they worked. And most people who worked in nightlife worked anywhere between four and seven days a week. I worked seven days a week. So I was drinking seven days a week. I didn't at the time didn't think I was an alcoholic. Now I know I was totally alcoholic because I would drink, no joke, like 10 plus drinks a night because like my tolerance was so high because I was literally drinking every day. So it, it took me a lot to actually feel it. Eventually, that alcohol turned into smoking pot every day, smoking pot all day, every day from the time I woke up to before I went to the gym to before I went to work, to even in the nightclubs because I was throwing the parties because eventually I started my own hospitality company. I took all those clients that I had and I eventually became like an independent contractor and I'd contract myself out to different nightclubs. So again, that's the entrepreneur coming back in. 
So I'm literally smoking at work, after work, before I go to sleep, when I wake up. Then I got into Adderall and I was taking Adderall literally every day. And I never had a prescription in Adderall. Some people definitely need a prescription and that's fine. But like for the people who are using it who don't have a prescription, it's basically like prescription coke. It's like a lot cleaner. It's not cut with anything weird. So that's good. But it is definitely super addictive. So I was doing that. And then everyone was like into looking super good. So I got into Anivar, which is like an oral steroid that you like swallow that like is an anti-muscle wasting drug that physique models and fitness models, it's heavily abused in there. I got into all sorts of bad stuff. Probably like two years in, I looked at myself. I was like, I basically recognized that every year I was becoming 5 to 20% worse of a person through the use of drugs, through my actions and activities, through the influence of the people around me, through the influence of the industry. And I knew that. I like to think I grew up in a fairly like, wholesome, good way. I feel like I had a really good heart and I did a lot of good things, but I was just becoming a worse person. And then I also looked around all the men in the industry. I was like, are any of these men good family men? Because at some point I want to have a family. I want to be a great husband and I want to be a great father. And for the ones that stayed in it, I couldn't identify any. The ones that became great husbands and great fathers got out of it. The ones who stayed in it, they were at the nightclubs partying and drinking and there's so much temptation. There's like so many girls and drugs and alcohol and like they weren't good husbands and they weren't good fathers. And there's always diamonds in the rough, but I would say like on a whole, not really. Even though I knew those things, I was so addicted to the lifestyle, the money, the power, the social prestige. The lifestyle was so easy. I literally partied for a living with like super famous rich people, like beautiful women every night. I partied for a living. It was intoxicating. And it was just the lifestyle of that work was so, so addicting. It took me a long time to get out of it. It basically consumed me. <laughs> you know, to answer your question, it definitely like destroyed me more and more every year. And it was really, really hard to get out. And I can tell you how I got out if you guys want to know how I got out. I would love to go through the kind of getting out part. I think the one question I just wanted to ask before like the getting out, like while you're in it, thinking through this lens of it's a personal finance podcast. I can imagine when you're surrounded by that many people who have such huge wealth, even if you are making a lot of money, that it could be tempting to fall into wanting to live the way they're living and spend just as much as you're earning and you just end up having nothing to show for it. So I'm curious, while you were in it, were you actually being able to make any use out of all this income that's coming in or was it just straight out the window? Straight out the window. So that's the other challenge working in that industry and being in specifically like Hollywood, LA area is everyone looks rich and acts like they're rich. But most people like myself back then were literally like basically paycheck to paycheck. It was all a beautiful facade. You know, I had the Range Rover, the nice condo. I was eating out at the nicest restaurants every day. But like I didn't have anything saved. I had a negative net worth basically that whole time. You know, I never paid off my student loans from college. I had credit card debt. I tell people all the time, if I knew 
what I know now about like financial independence, I would easily be a decamillionaire, if not more, because I was making like two hundred to three hundred thousand dollars a year, and like a lot of it off the record because it was like cash. <laughs> I literally walked away from there, and when I finally got out, I think I had maybe like forty or fifty thousand dollars saved, but I also had, I think, at the time, twenty thousand or so in student loans. And then I had credit card debt. And then I also, <laughs> I got six years behind on my taxes and I owed a bunch of taxes because I just stopped doing my taxes. So yeah, made a lot of money, but didn't keep a lot of money. <laughs> so let's fast forward to some of the good parts, Dragon. And I know you went from, I think it was negative 80K net worth to over a million and it was two years and change. Correct me if I'm wrong, the exact yep. timeline there, but that's crazy. That is like, an astronomical gain from negative 80 grand to over a million. How'd you do it? Yeah. So eventually I got out of nightlife because I basically realized that like, if I stay in here, like I'm not going to be the man that I want to be in order to become the man I want to be. I'm going to have to build towards that. It's just not going to happen overnight. So I realized that I'm going to have to change my environment. I'm going to have to like basically reboot my life. and. I knew the place for me to go was to go back to Stanford and to finally finish my undergrad degree because I figured I can go back through on-campus recruiting. I can reconnect with... I always felt like for me, Stanford was the highest concentration of people that had really great hearts and some of the most brilliant minds doing some of the best things in the world. Like There's those people all over the world in all areas, but Stanford as far as places I had visited, had the highest concentration of that. So I basically just left my career and I was like, I'm going to go finish at Stanford. And thank God Stanford like let me come back because that was one of like my big fears that actually contributed probably towards my alcohol and drug abuse is like, I was like, I never finished my Stanford dream. I thought I wouldn't be able to go back. But thankfully, in large part to my relationship with my then friend, later girlfriend and now wife, she really supported me going back and she actually helped me move back. They were totally happy to have me back and came back to Stanford. And, you know, just in order to kind of like fast forward through the story, and I've shared this on my own podcast, basically by sheer destiny or coincidence, I ended up meeting the founder and CEO of a company that was started at Stanford University in a class. And I became one of the founding team members of that company. So I was actually employee number four. And in the beginning, he was like, do you want to do operations or you want to do sales? And I was like, well, I've kind of been a salesperson all my life. Like, I'll do sales. And listeners can go listen to my podcast because I'm making this seem like it was so easy. It was was really hard, but it's like a long ass story. So I'm not going to get into it. So basically, what I recognized as I was doing sales for the company is that I had autonomy of my schedule. As long as I hit my numbers, my sales numbers, my company did not care how much or little I worked. They literally did not care. They're like, you hit your numbers, however you do it, we don't care. So basically, I just focused on learning how to earn as much as possible. So there's a few things I did. One is I got mentors in my field. So B2B, tech sales mentors. And they basically taught me what 
my true potential was because before getting those mentors, I was like, oh, I make 150 to 200 a year. And then basically they're like, no, 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 Justin, you can make 500 to a million a year. Like the top salespeople in Silicon Valley make 500 to a million a year. And I was like, what? I just had no concept of this. I just didn't know. You don't know what you don't know. And so basically they mentored me, coached me on how to like become that good of a salesperson, how to negotiate my compensation package with my company to ensure that I could actually earn that kind of money. And they really just like believed in me and they believed in my potential. And basically as I was doing that, I also discovered financial independence. So this is the very end of 2017, the beginning of 2018. So I basically, through listening to Tim Ferriss' podcast, I hear about this Mr. Money Mustache. As I'm cleaning up my back taxes, you know, I went and got professional help to clean up all my back taxes as well as my credit. I was like, I want to go like check out that Mr. Money Mustache because I need some like inspiration to get caught back up. And then I went down the Mr. Money Mustache rabbit hole. And so as I started earning more and more, I became more and more frugal. So I just went on this like two-year like hyper frugality, like literally to the point where I was like, babe, I don't want to even go to the movies anymore. <laughs> that did not go over well. <laughs> I can like talk about that in another podcast. So as I'm starting to earn more and more money, I'm learning all these financial like independent skills. And I'm, again, super hardcore entrepreneur. I'm like, well, what's the fastest way for me to learn on all this? Well, I'm going to start my own financial independence mastermind. So I basically started a financial independence meetup that met every single month. And that became my group of mastermind coaches that basically... I had my professionals that I paid to help me clean up my taxes and get my credit card stuff all cleaned up. Then I had all these people that were ahead of me in the financial independence game, or maybe some of them were the same, others who were completely financially independent. They became like my mentors and my coaches. And every month, I would want to go to that meetup and be like, here's my progress that I made, or here's the challenge that I'm facing and I don't know how to do it, or some like combination, all of that. And so basically, I started to earn 500 to a million dollars a year. I never broke a million, not yet, but I earned a lot of money and I was saving an insane amount of money. And so basically, in about two years, I went from negative 80 to over a million and then became a multimillionaire about a year after that. I would have never been able to do that if I didn't have mentors, if I didn't have coaches, and if I didn't have a mastermind. Like literally like that was the key for it. There's of course some luck, you know what I mean? Not everyone's going to be able to be in super high like B2B tech sales. Not everyone's going to be able to be like a founding team member, but there was a lot of things along the way that could have been distractions. You know, like they asked me to be like VP of sales or chief revenue officer. And like, I was like, I'm going to lose my free time and my autonomy. And my ego wants those jobs, wants those titles, but my spirit wants to be free and my spirit wants to maximize the total amount of money I can earn. Because most like top salespeople out earn like most of the executives in a B2B sales situation. So that's essentially how I did it. And yeah, I think, you know, it's a common thing we've heard a lot as far as when people first get introduced into like the fire movement into this financial independence idea. Sometimes they really 
I wouldn't say overcorrect, but they go like deep into it. Like they get almost obsessed with it. Like you said, to the point where I'm not even sure if I want to go to the movies. I'm curious, like how long that lasted. You're making that much money. You finally get that big nest egg. You've got this kind of like machine behind you. Do you start to let up a little bit? Do you start to figure out kind of what's important to you and where you're comfortable spending the money? A hundred percent. So that's kind of what I've been doing the last couple of years is really starting to like feel out where are the areas that it actually makes sense for me to invest, invest more money into the things that really add richness to my life. Because I want to not just be financially rich, I want to live a super rich life in all the areas that are important to me. Things like travel, things like my health and my fitness, you know, health is wealth and, you know, things like my own personal growth. So investing in coaches, investing in masterminds and the things that are going to get me to the next level, right? Because what got me here is not going to get me to the next level, right? I have to keep taking new different actions in order to get to each next level. So for me, kind of like the biggest investments now I'm making now are in personal development. So I've done fitness coaching. I've done like breakthrough business success coaching. I've done masterminds. And I'm just looking to continuing to invest in those areas because that's the fastest way for me to grow. Because I'm one of those people like I love to work as long as it's work that I and passionate about. And as long as it's in the capacity that I enjoy. like So for me, I've kind of found I really love to work about three to four hours a day, three to four days a week with plenty of vacation. Like I freaking love it. Like I love to progress and make an impact in the life and the lives of the people around me and my family. And I'm really good at it. And it brings me a lot of joy and excitement. So we're still not really going to the movies. That's funny. We actually went to the movies the other month and my wife was like, you know what? I don't like going to the movies anymore because it's so <laughs> much more comfortable on our couch. Do you know what I mean? But now I eat out at nice restaurants like, you know, once or twice a week. For like two years, I didn't eat out at a restaurant, literally. So now I do that like once or twice a week. We definitely travel several times a year. I invest in like making sure... I love to look good when I'm working out because like when you look good, you work out better. I do a lot of stuff on Instagram, fitness related stuff. So it's like now become a part of my job. This year, I've actually really invested in kind of like creating my next two businesses, which are my podcast, my Alchemize Life podcast and my fitness and money coaching program, which is called Fit Rich Vegan Elite Coaching. So really investing in growing those. And for me, it's fun to spend money on those, especially when they're making money and they're profitable. And as you see, the more money you invest in them, the more money they make. And it's now I'm like working on the other side. And Cody and I talked about this in his interview. It's like there's a floor to how little you can spend. There's a floor to like your expenses, but there is almost no cap to your earning potential. And as far as I'm concerned, if you're having fun and you're loving the ways that you're earning money, why not just like go see just how high that ceiling of earning is? So that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm definitely not like a hardcore frugal person anymore. I'm definitely still very frugal in a lot of areas that aren't important to me. I still am driving a 2012 Prius. But it's the nicest edition with the mock leather seats and all that stuff. And I'm considering getting a Tesla Model 3, but just the Model 3. 
and more so because of my desire to have a fully electric car. And I also like crazy world-changing people like Elon Musk and Steve Jobs. Like I just like people who are like so far out there that they're literally just, yeah, they rub a lot of people the wrong way. They do a lot of bad stuff, but they also do a lot of good because they're just like so aggressive with bringing their dreams alive. So probably we'll get a Model 3 sometime in the next one to three years, but I'm taking my sweet time on it. (laughs) Well, I definitely love that. And I just want you to talk a little bit more about, I mean, all the stuff you're putting out, you're super prolific with content. You mentioned the coaching program that you have and the podcast that you recently launched. But dude, you went from negative 80K to over a million to now a multimillionaire. You're like a workout fanatic. You've been sober for how many years at this point? September will be eight years. So almost eight years, depending on when this launches, you're like 6% body fat. Like you're crushing in all areas of life, (laughs) Dragon. And so for people who want to like learn about how you got to where you are now from where you came from, I mean, we just went through this kind of crazy tumultuous journey of going to Hollywood and foregoing that Stanford degree that you were gunning for since middle school. But now you're just like on top of the world, crushing it in all aspects, man. So first of all, I just want to give you kudos where kudos are deserved. And second, just want you to tell people a little bit more about what they can expect if they go and head over to the Alchemized Life podcast or the Fit Rich Vegan Coaching. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to share. So for me, the podcast is really like an artistic dream that I had for like 10 years. And you know, at the top of this kind of interview, I mentioned to you this like subconscious fear of like people finding out, especially my family, just how successful I have become. So I worked with a breakthrough coach to identify that and uninstall that limiting belief and install some new empowering ones. So the mission of the podcast is to empower people to proactively design and truly live a life worth living. And that is like whatever that means to them. So really, for me, life, a truly rich life isn't just being financially rich or just being like really super fit or really healthy. It's really all areas of life from like work and career to relationships, to health and fitness, to the entrepreneurial journeys, to the spiritual. And so what I do on that podcast is that I sit down with thought leaders from all domains to share their wisdom, their expertise their experiences, their insight to really empower other people to proactively design and truly live their best life, whatever that is for them. And everyone's best life is different. You know, like something that brings me alive and lights me up may not really be that interesting to you, Cody, or that exciting to you, Justin, but that doesn't matter because we're all in this together, right? And really for me, it's so much faster like when we do the work together, because like humans weren't meant to do things in isolation by themselves. We are a species that is built to do the work together. And when we do the work together, we go so much faster, we go so much farther, and we have so much more fun. So that's really kind of like a big premise of that podcast is really unleashing and unlocking people in all the important areas of life through sitting down with thought leaders in various areas of life, as well as kind of sharing my own like philosophies and ideas. Eventually, I'll be doing solo podcasts and stuff, but I'm kind of like starting off with really just sitting at the feet of all the people that inspire me, the people that like have influenced my mindset, my journey, and being a total student. Like I love to learn. 
But then if I can learn and share that with other people at the same time, that's like a virtuous circle. It feeds me, it feeds other people. And it's really a massive win for everyone involved and for everyone who tunes in. And then I've always had this deep desire to do a fitness and money coaching program because like if I had gotten the fitness and money coaching that I got when I was in my 20s, I would easily be like a decamillionaire, if not like a hundred millionaire by now. And so for me, I want to create a place where people, if they're ready to hyper growth their own fitness and money journey, they can come to Fit Rich Vegan coaching if they're vegan or veg curious. You don't have to be like completely vegan, but it is one of those things like I live a plant-based vegan lifestyle. So like I want to work with people who are interested in at least, you know, going plant-based. You don't have to go fully plant-based, but like interested in that lifestyle because there's an alignment of mission, vision, and values, right? It's just better to like work with coaches that are kind of aligned with you from a vision value and mission standpoint. So For me, it's kind of like paying it back to like the younger versions of me or the people who are just further behind on the journey, right? Not everyone has the self-determination willpower to like go down the financial independence rabbit hole, right? There's a lot of people who can do that by themselves, but still FI, FI is really a total like subset, small, small, small percentage of the world. Whereas a lot of people, they need a program. They need support, right? And in my own journey, I finally got the body in my dreams after 20 years of trying to do it by myself when I just got an online fitness coach. I literally got the body in my dream in five to six months. The lesson I've learned for myself and that I try to share with everybody is you might spend 10, 20, 30 years, or even an entire lifetime trying to figure something out, whether that's your fitness or your money or your relationships or some other important aspect of your life, why spend 10, 20, 30 or an entire lifetime trying to figure out by yourself when you could probably learn it in like six months if you just sign up with the right coach or for the right coaching program? The investment will pay itself back in spades. I want to be one of those resources for people who are ready to like get their dream body, achieve the financial success that they've been seeking in 6 to 12 months instead of 6 to 12 plus years. <laughs> and just to kind of wrap up with a little bit of like the housekeeping, I don't know if you just want to give the listeners a quick, simple, like here's where they can find those programs. Yeah, the best place to connect with me is on Instagram. It's where I'm most active. Links to everything is there from my podcast to my coaching program, et cetera. And that's at Justin David Carl. Or you can literally just search Justin Dragon on Instagram and there will be a shirtless person in the profile and that'll (laughs) be me. You can also go to alchemizelife.com. Everything's there as well. I think you can even go to justindavidcarl.com and it'll forward you to alchemizelife.com. Awesome, man. Well, we will link all that up in the show notes for all the listeners who want to live their best financial, health, spiritual, everything about mindset and life you got covered. Just want to thank you seriously for coming on today. It was a blast recording with you on your podcast a couple weeks ago when I was excited to share your journey. It's such a huge turnaround. I feel like you're kind of at rock bottom and a lot of people can probably resonate with being at a point like that where you're feeling this addiction mindset, you're in the hole, you're negative net worth, six years behind on taxes, and now you're at... 
such a better position not that many years later. So seriously, man, just want to thank you for coming on and sharing your story. Yeah. One closing thought. So this is something I try to share with everyone because it's kind of like part of my philosophy. So if you want to like hyper growth your life, there's three principles you should pay attention to. One is either the average of the five people that you spend the most time and energy with. The second principle is you are a product of your environment. And the third principle is you are what you consume. And this includes food, information, experiences, music, social media, movies, TV, basically anything you put into your eyes, ears, mouth, body, brain. So if you want to like hyper growth your life, make sure all of those principles, you're doing the best that you can to surround yourself with the five people that are like pulling for that next level of you. And the coolest thing about the day and age that we live in is like, you can literally have your top five or at least your top two or three be people that would never even give you the time of day by listening to their podcasts, consuming their social media, et cetera. Literally, you can just like be in their minds all day. Even if you live in some place that has no positive role models, they're all there for you online. And then if you want to like radically transform your life, change your environment. Go to an environment that you know is going to support you. Obviously, you all saw me do that, how I went from Hollywood, which was an environment that was destroying me. And I went back to Stanford and it remade me. It rebooted my life. And then the same thing with what you consume. So obviously, Cody and Jess, I'm a huge fan of listening to your podcast. That's like consuming information that's going to empower your life. Read those books, listen to those people that inspire you and call for that next higher version of yourself. And if you just focus on those three principles, literally year over year, you'll literally be on an exponential growth curve. And you'll look back five years later and be like, look how freaking far I've come. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to another episode of The Fi Show. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, the best way to do that is to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, share this with a friend, and also don't forget, you can find 200 plus episodes and all the information you'd ever want to have about these episodes over at thefyshow.com. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button because that way every Wednesday you can have our latest episode delivered straight to your phone. Until next time. Hey, real quick before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available, the very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.